hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. And we're excited to bring you another woman worth knowing. Yes, indeed. And we're continuing on, of course, as you probably know, with the medical field. And there's just so many that we keep unearthing. <laughs> that, that's really it. I don't you know, know if that's the right word. But. <laughs> so with this, I always sent this advertisement. I love audible books. And I always sent this one, like, have you ever read this? And <laughs> it was a book about somebody I'd never heard about before. Mm. And her name was Susan LaFleche. And mm. she was the first Native American Indian to ever get a medical degree. Wow. Not just just first not just for women woman, woman right but the first um the first um indian yeah. so i was like well that would be interesting the book is called the warrior of the people but i was thinking that would be interesting but what if she's not a christian cuz we're pretty right. much featuring we, yeah, women yeah we want to feature christians obviously so anyway um i started looking up on google like who is this woman let me know more about her and everything that came up i they were trying to be politically correct, but they had mm. to mention her faith. Mm. And so I got this book, the book, A Warrior of Her People. And it's um, actually written by somebody who is, you know, sometimes you read a book and you can see there's a bent in it. and the there's worldview. Yes. Yeah. And so they want to talk about the suffering of women and they want to talk about the prejudice and mm. racial prejudice against Native Americans, which— you know, no doubt, both of those things are true. Right. But they want to tell it from that point. And they kind mm. of wanted to say Christians did this, but they can't <laughs> because they have to bring out Susan LaFleche's faith. Yeah, her and faith. she, her faith, in fact, they even said she was an ardent Christian. Mm. And her faith just comes out over and over and over again in her life. I love that. So, so the more I read, yeah. The more excited I got. Then I got this book, and I've listened to it on Audible. Mm -hmm. And then I also bought a book that I read on Kindle that, of course, will post all that. And you might even oh, find yeah. more books. But you'll find that her faith was mm. so dynamic. I love that, that even just a, a liberal perspective can't quench that. It, it was just too obvious. Isn't that so amazing? <laughs> it's great. So the more I read about her, I got so excited. But anyway, Susan LaFleche, as you might have guessed, was born in a teepee on the Omaha Reservation in Omaha, Nebraska on June 17, 1865. She was the daughter of an Indian chief, and his Indian name was Iron Eye, but his what English-sized name was Joseph LaFleche, and of his wife, Mary Gale. And Mary Gale was also half Indian, and her name meant one woman. Or the one woman. Joseph's father was a French fur trader, and his mother was an Omaha Indian. And they believe that she was the daughter of Chief Big Elk, but none of this is registered. But mm. the reason why they think that is because later, Joseph was adopted by Chief Big Elk. Now, Joseph was very close to his French father, his French-Canadian father, because his father was a fur trader, he would go in and among these different Indian tribes. So Joseph then learned five Indian languages as well as English and French. Goodness. And growing up, 
Joseph saw the Indians losing their distinctiveness and white men taking advantage of them over and over again. And mm-hmm. he began to feel that the Indians needed to learn the ways of the white men in order to safeguard their existence and their ways and the people. I think a lot of uh, the Native Americans felt that way. Even the guy who became the first Native American, I think, senator, mm-hmm. he had, you know, kind of made that adaptation challenging. Yeah, Right. Well, I think I mentioned this to you earlier, not to our listeners, but when the Americans first arrived on the scene, like in the 1700s, there were over 4 million buffalo roaming through the plains of the United States. And by 1865, there were a couple thousand. So it had been reduced that much by people who just didn't understand uh, the ways of the land. And one thing that the American Indians had is they tried to live in harmony with the land. They didn't exploit the land. And unfortunately, the Industrial Revolution really began to exploit nature. Yeah. And Resources. people were not yeah. responsible. They were so excited about you know manufacturing and they were so excited about making these goods and about increasing wealth, productivity, and even the comfort of life that they forgot about nature and preserving the earth as best they could. It was they just didn't Exploitative. see yeah. far enough. Yeah, yeah. yes. Not far forward thinking. Forward thinking. That's exactly it. So Chief Big Elk agreed with Joseph's vision, and he adopted Joseph as his son. And then on his death, he named Joseph Laflesh, or Iron Eye, as he was called, as his successor or his chief. In fact, it's said that Joseph Laflesh was probably the last chief of the Omaha Indians. Wow. The last recognized chief. But he also was, he was the first chief to be half not Indian. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Because he was Mixed. also half, And his wife was also a half-breed. Her father had been a surgeon in the United States Army. And Mary's mother was from the Iowa tribe. Her father was Dr. John Gale, but he abandoned her mother, Nakoma, and mm-hmm. the daughter, Mary, when Mary was still young. Her mother remarried an Indian man, and Mary was raised in the tribe with her Indian name, Hunagasan, or something like that. She was considered a princess of the Iowa tribe, and it's believed that she was also the granddaughter of Chief Big Elk. So um, mm-hmm. Joseph married the one woman, or Mary Gale, in 1846, and they had four daughters, Suzette, whose Indian name was Bright Eyes, Rosalie, Marguerite, and Suzanne. So as a chief, Joseph was also allowed to have a second wife, and he married another lady named uh, Elizabeth Esau or Taini, who was full-blooded Omaha. But uh, Joseph also had, it's believed, a third wife because Indian chiefs were allowed to have as many wives as Polygamous. they wanted. Right? Uh, okay. So, by his second wife, he had uh, three children, including Francis LaFleche, who would become a very famous ethnologist and the first Indian ethnologist. And that's going to be important later in our story. Interesting. Um, he was older than um, Susan. Susan is the youngest of Mary Gill's daughters. But it's interesting because Joseph decided after the birth of his first daughter, Bright Eyes, that he would not give his other children Indian names because he felt it was too hard for them to survive in the white man's world or have success if they had Indian names. Also, the chief's children were usually tattooed and 
tattoos in that Indian culture were a sign of identity and kind of the aristocracy of the Indian tribe. And he also decided that he didn't want his children to have tattoos because he was afraid it would bring prejudice against them. Hmm. And what he believed in more than anything else was hard work and education. So Joseph actually, um, some Presbyterian um, missionaries came to the Omaha tribe and Joseph was so impressed by their kindness, by their respect, by their love, and by the gospel, by what they said about Jesus, that Joseph decided he wanted to be a Christian. Hmm. But at the same time, he got this disease in his leg, and he was like, you know, why does God hate me? So he went to this Presbyterian missionary, and he says, why does your God hate me? And he said, you know, our God does not hate you at all. In fact, our God wants to work in your life. So they prayed for Joseph, and he was able to get an artificial leg. And he said, you know, the white man's God gave me a new leg. Oh, And so— he, again, he encouraged his children um, to seek higher education. Susan's oldest sister, Bright Eyes, was the first to be educated, and she traveled to the East Coast and got her degree in teaching. And later, she would teach at the Presbyterian School on the Omaha Reservation, a school that Joseph had negotiated to start with the Presbyterians. And it was through this school that Joseph learned, I told you, about the gospel and became a Christian. Right. And he was said to be an ardent Christian, though he still held tightly to and sought to preserve the Indian culture and the culture of his people. So he believed that you could totally merge Christianity with an appreciation of God's creation. In fact, he began to see like the Indian ways appreciated God's creation and understood some of the herbal remedies. And he said, you know what? God gave us this. So this isn't bad. In fact, in some ways, we've been worshiping God without even realizing it. So he was also a staunch prohibitionist and felt that alcohol was the greatest enemy of his people and culture. And so while he remained chief, he kept alcohol off the Omaha reservation. Now, in his time, the reservation was owned cooperatively. All the people owned the land, but some other people began to pressure Joseph to let Indians have um, private ownership because that was something big in the United States was privatization, you know, privatization yeah. to be it's able a Western to own. Thing. It is a yeah. Western thing, yeah. but it wasn't an Indian yeah. thing. And so, you know, the jury's out on whether this was the best for the Indians or not the best. But so the United States says, you know what? We're going to privatize it and we're going to give it to you. And each of you are going to get 125 acres. But we're going to hold it in trust for you for 25 years. So you can do everything you want, but it, we are going to make sure you're responsible and that you don't sell it to the white man. You don't exploit it. You don't get rid of it. And that was, again, the jury's out, right, yeah. on whether that was good or not. So Susan began attending the Presbyterian school when she was three years old. And so after Susan's birth, Joseph had a wooden house built and he encouraged the other Omaha Indians to also build houses. And um, when Susan was an, uh, just still a young girl, she witnessed an event that would forever shape her life. So she saw this very sick Indian woman who needed a doctor. And she was left with this sick woman and she was told to care for the sick woman. While others sent messengers and messages to this white doctor 
and saying, please come quick. This woman is dying. And the white doctor kept refusing every single message, every single messenger. And Susan had stayed as a young woman, helpless, um, near this sick woman, unable to do anything. And the woman eventually died. And Susan then determined that there needed to be Indian doctors to help the Indian people. And she said later of that event, it was only an Indian and it did not matter. The doctor preferred hunting for prairie Mm. chickens rather than visiting poor, suffering humanity. Wow. So Suzette, now it's interesting because her sister is Suzette and she's Susan, right? Okay. (laughs) Um, But Suzette is also called Bright Eyes. But Bright Eyes started her own school. So Bright Eyes had uh, gotten her degree and come back to the Indian Reservation. And at first, they wouldn't let her teach at the Presbyterian school. The Presbyterians wanted her to, but the Indians had to get permission from the government for everything they did, even for a purchase. <sighs> wow. Like if they wanted to spend some money to purchase, to buy like a buggy, they had to get a sanction from Washington to approve it. It was crazy. Everything but oh, food, they had to get weird. approved. Yeah, even a spiritual or a church-related thing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It so, matter. Anyway, they said, oh, you don't have um, enough of a degree. So she sent away and they gave her, she showed them the degree. And they said, well, you don't have someone who's saying that you've got a good reputation. So she sends away and everyone from the school just sends their recommendation. She is godly. um, She's an asset. So finally— they they let her teach at the Presbyterian school. But while she was there, she began to um, think, I need to develop my own school. I want a school that teaches both the Indian ways, that doesn't strip us of our culture, yeah, but allows us to keep our culture and to appreciate our culture and kind of learn about our ancestors as well as um, teach us Christian principles as mm. well as Shakespeare and Longfellow and— um, the history of the United States and science. So, but she didn't want the Indians to lose that identity, that yeah, cultural uh, fully identity. Well rounded. That's a really exactly. Cool, yeah. So she started school. So Susan and her sister Marguerite and her sister Rosalie were all sent to live with her sister and attend this school. So she went there until she was fourteen. Then her father sent her and her older sister Marguerite to the East Coast to New Jersey to attend the same boarding school that Bright Eyes had gone to. The sister's tuition was paid for by a group from the Presbyterian organization. So Susan excelled in school. Mm. And because she could speak several languages, they would use her a lot as a translator Mm. with some of the other Indian girls. But her English was exceptional. After finishing school in New Jersey, Susan returned to the Omaha Reservation where she taught at the Presbyterian School. So now they accepted her right away where her sister kind of had to earn the right to. Right. So her older half-brother, who had been educated, was working with a woman who was a Harvard graduate, and this woman's name was Alice Fletcher. Now, he, Alice Fletcher had come, she was in her 40s, and she had met Francis LaFleche on the East Coast. Uh, because he was speaking on kind of the ways of the Indians. He was also an ardent Christian. And when she listened to him, she said, I'm an ethnologist. I'm super interested in Indian culture. I Can I come out to your reservation and study the Indian culture? And so he brought her back with him. And she was fascinated by the Indian culture. She was also a Presbyterian. And she'd come to Omaha to study um, some of the different tribes. Well, while she was studying these tribes, she was caught in a cold storm, and she became very, very ill. 
So Francis brought her to Chief Iron Eye's home, and Susan was the one who nursed Alice Fletcher back to health, and she had to nurse her for over a month. She took care of her. And during this time, Alice and Susan became very close. And Alice said, Susan, you're so important. You're so intelligent. You need to seek a higher education. And Alice volunteered to raise the funds for Susan's education. Cool. So in the meantime, there was this institute in the Hamptons that was called, it's now the University of Hamptons. It's still there, but then it was, you know, the Hampton School. It was founded by Samuel Chapman, who was the son of missionary parents who were born in Hawaii. But um, General Armstrong was the one who oversaw it. And among one of the graduates was Booker T. Washington. And he would later refer to Samuel Chapman as one of the greatest men he ever knew because of his godliness. And Mm. uh, this was started for the freed slaves originally. And it was actually started um, even before the Civil War. This woman named um, Mary Peak, who was half French and half— African? African. She had— she was so upset that the children were illiterate, but it was against the law to teach um, a black American how to read or write. And they had this tree in Virginia that was considered the free tree. So she would invite the children under this tree, Mary Peak, and she would teach the children to read and write. And so when she met General Armstrong, he had been in the military and he was so impressed with the freed slaves that fought in the Civil War, and he thought, they're not educated. How can we educate them? How can uh, we help them to function after the Civil War yeah. so they can hold jobs, so they can compete? And he he dreamed and conspired with Mary Peake to start this school that would educate and train, and not just educate, but give them skills right. that they could uh, take forward. And he felt that part of learning these skills would be um, not only survival, but but thriving and showing that they were equal. So he yeah, started this for off the of freedmen. plantation life. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, so when um, so Susan and her sister Marguerite were among the first Indians that were invited to this school. Cool. And I told you that Tree of Freedom was right mm-hmm. outside the school. Oh, and perfect. so Mary Peake, of course, <laughs> was one of the first teachers at the school. So one of Susan's teachers was a Dr. Uh, Martha Waldron. And she had gone to what will come up again and again, but the Medical College of Philadelphia. Oh, yes. That Women's Medical College. Yes, that yep. Ida Scatter <laughs> went to. And, you know, so many of those gals. Right. So, missionary doctors. Um, Dr. Martha Waldron, she was a medical doctor. And she noticed Susan's intelligence and really encouraged her to become a doctor. Now, while Susan was at the Hampton School. She taught Sunday school every Sunday, visited people, um, you know, the sick and the hurting. Um, She was also the salutatorian when she graduated, which meant she was not the valedictorian because there was somebody with just one person with greater scores. Slightly better GPA. Yes, than she had. But when she she gave the commencement address. She credited the Lord and his glory with everything. And she said, as a doctor, I can do much for my people. 
and uh, just gave the Lord credit for her education, for the people God had brought into. And she talked about her desire to take faith and to take productivity back to her people. So while she was attending the Hampton School, though, she fell in love with another Indian. He was uh, from the Suez tribe, and his name was She called him T.I. I'm not even going to try this name. And she would write back letters home, and she said he was the most beautiful man she had ever seen in her life. And everyone was a little bit concerned about this relationship because— he was not as educated or as bright as she was. I mean, oh, she was super bright and super dedicated, and his English wasn't very good, but she didn't care. She just loved him so deeply. And they could communicate in, their, in the native right. language, right? Yeah. <laughs> but Alice Fletcher and others really encouraged her to put her tribe first, to put the Lord first. And they were afraid if she married him, she would never fully develop. Um, into the person that God wanted her to be wow. and be able to go back and really help her tribe. And even though she was in love, she put her education first and really felt like, you know, I'm going to put this, you wow. know. And so they kept up a correspondence. But I forgot to mention this too. Um, he had tuberculosis, but it was in remission. And he was very sickly. He wasn't as strong as she was, although he was, according to everybody, devastatingly handsome. Oh, a knockout. Okay. And very, very kind. <laughs> so she, while in school, she studied, you know, chemistry and anatomy, but she really, really wanted to go to medical college. So she put in an application for a scholarship and it was refused. Well, when Alice Fletcher heard that, she's like, no, we're going to make a way. So she conspired with Dr. Martha Waldron and they called a woman in named Susan Kinney and told her all about Susan. And Susan Kinney was already interested in the plight of the American Indians. And so she was part of the Presbyterian Church also. And she was part of a society that was kind of the missionary outreach to Indians and to help teach them hygiene and to keep their ways and to preserve the Indians. Now, this is really important that you have this Christian organization that wants to preserve and evangelize the Indians because there were others that wanted to call the Indians savages and therefore justify wiping them out. But if the Indians got saved and embraced Christianity, it protected them. Mm. So they were really interested in bringing the gospel to the Indians. And they found in some ways that the Indians became more ardent Christians than even the white men. This is called the Connecticut Indian Association. And so these women decided to pay for Susan's tuition, board, and school supplies, which was great. The only problem was is she didn't have her way paid to get to the medical school. So they also wrote a recommendation for Susan to go to the— Medical College of Pennsylvania. So Susan Kinney just so believed in Susan LaFleche that she actually paid her way to go to Philadelphia herself. I love these women that just supported her and just mm-hmm. believed in God's call on her life. And, so you neat. Know, and Susan, for the rest of her life, uh, Susan LaFleche would keep in correspondence with these women, and she called them like the dearest women. And they would even, when she was in college, they would invite her over to their house, and they would have her for dinner, or they would you know, make sure that her needs were taken care of. And again, all by correspondence. Mm. 
So she had to study chemistry, anatomy, physiology, histology, pharmaceutical science, and obstetrics. And the thing that she was most insecure about was the chemistry. And she would always write home saying, pray for me, pray for me, or to these other women, please pray for me, because this is harder than it seems. And also, she would keep up a correspondence asking her brothers and sisters, like, what's going on with my people? You know, where are they hurting? How's their health? And they would write back what was going on with the tribe. And she would write back advice. Wow. Now, so she had to learn, like, so many different fields. You know, nowadays we specialize, but it sounds like she had to learn everything. everything. That's really amazing. Well, also because she would, was the only doctor that would be on this right. reservation. She felt like she needed everything. Wow. And so— she would give advice on how to treat different ailments, you know, from the things she was learning. And even in the letters, she began to stress hygiene. And she was seeing in, in those days, tuberculosis was almost a death sentence. And she was mm. seeing many of the Indians were really susceptible to tuberculosis. And she realized that a lot of the practices they did, like they would all share from the same cup. And so it would spread from one person to another. Yep. So she's like, stop that. Stop those. So she realized that some of the Indian rituals were dangerous and unhygienic. So she's like, those are the ones we cannot keep. But these others we can keep. Right. We can still have meals together, but we have to show hygiene. And she was so excited about, you know, about being able to wash. Um, some of the places, you know, ha would have water in the houses. And she loved being able to wash her hands. And mm -hmm. she would talk to the Indians about, you know, the need to her family. Wash your hands. You know, uh, keep clean and, you know, cleanliness will keep you from some of these diseases. It's neat because she was one of them, so they would probably receive it better from her yes. as their own. So she saved up her money, and at the end of her second year of college, she returned home during the summer because she found out there was an outbreak of measles. And so she went home purposely just to take care of her um, people and to help them recover. Also at this time, during her second year, she started having really bad headaches and backaches and was almost incapacitated by the pain that she felt in her ears, her head, and in her back. And yet she kept persevering in her studies. So she's doing this with a handicap. She's still wow. learning and going to classes. So yes, all of that. So she helped the people get back to health, and she returned to school in the fall. But during her last year of college, she found out that her father died. And that would, you know, derail somebody else. But she decided she was going to press in to study even harder because of her father's death. Like, could that have been prevented if I was there? And if I was a doctor, could I have treated him? And it really inspired her. And she remembered how her father wanted her to be a doctor, wanted her to be educated. Yeah. So she presses in and she ends up graduating at the top of her class. She girl. was the valedictorian. Yeah, but then she had to do a residency at different hospitals in Philadelphia for one year, just honing her skills. And at this point, while she's working some of the different hospitals, uh, some of the men doctors are totally prejudiced, and they won't let women in, or they will not honor the um, prescriptions that they're writing out. Right, let alone a Native American woman. Let yeah. alone a Native yeah. American woman. Yeah. So after that year of residency, um, she returned to the Indian reservation. And I'm going to probably 
stop there. Right. And, you know, save the rest of this and we'll finish up Susan LaFleche. And then I've got one other one to stick in um, right a bonus. at the end. Yes, a bonus. <laughs> but again, you know, we're asking you, our listeners, and we're so thankful that you're listening and that you're enjoying these women and their stories as much as Jasmine and I are mm. enjoying. We're enjoying discovery. Yeah. We're enjoying reading about these women and we're enjoying sharing them with you. But we want to know your story or somebody who's been inspirational to you. And we really want to hear those stories because we'd like to start or end some of these podcasts with those stories. So if you'll send them in to wwk at cccm.com or you can go our women.cccm.com website and there's a link there that you can click on as well. Okay, so we'll see you next week for part two of Susan the Flesh. That's right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.